Christ has instituted leadership within the context of the church. He gave offices and gifted men to his church to act as stewards on his behalf, to act as under shepherds, to act as house managers. All of those images are used in the New Testament. Welcome to The Word Unleashed with Tom Pennington. Tom is pastor-teacher at Countryside Bible Church in Southlake, Texas. What is the biblical model for the structure and governing of the church and for church leadership? Hello there, I'm Bill Wright. Today we continue the series, Recovering a Lost Legacy. You'll learn of the critical importance for us as Christians to understand the biblical model for church leadership, the governing structure, and the guidelines around selecting leaders. Sadly, many leaders today seem to oversee their churches like businesses instead of as the household of God. But the Bible presents a clear pattern of leadership. Both Old and New Testaments contain several arguments that support a plurality of godly, qualified men as the best approach to lead and shepherd local churches. Right now, Tom Pennington begins our study, Opening God's Word, here on The Word Unleashed. So far, we've examined the legacy of expository preaching, the legacy of worship and music, and last time we looked at the legacy of absolute truth. Today I want us to finish the series by considering the legacy of biblical elders. This has largely been abandoned in the Christian church in many regards. It really starts with this basic principle, and that is that our God is a God of order and structure. That's true everywhere in the universe. There is an intelligent life. Think about it this way, in the Trinity there is order, there is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Among the holy angels there is order as well, with the archangels leading the other orders and categories of angels that are unfolded on the pages of Scripture. Among mankind, the Lord Jesus Christ, the creator and sustainer of everything, established spheres of order and authority. It is He who established government, that governments would be over nations of people. He established the husband as the head of the marriage and of the wife in marriage. He is the one who placed parents over families and children. So in every category of intelligent life in the universe, God has established order and structure. So it shouldn't surprise us that Jesus Christ has established order and authority in His church. Now, you know this, but let me just remind you that Christ is the head of the church. He is the one who directs its life, directs its existence, and how it should, how it should respond to His lordship. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 23, we read, Christ is the head of the church. In the same way that a husband is the head of his wife, Christ is the head of his church, of his bride. And Christ has instituted leadership within the context of the church. He gave offices and gifted men to his church 
to act as stewards on his behalf, to act as under-shepherds, to act as house managers. All of those images are used in the New Testament. For example, in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12, Christ gave to His church these offices, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastor-teachers, for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. Christ, as the head of the church, has decided how the church should be structured. Sadly, many churches and even church leaders think how the church is organized is unimportant. For example, Donald Miller in The Nature and Mission of the Church writes this, no particular structure of church life is divinely ordained. Any form which the Holy Spirit can inhabit and to which He may impart the life of Christ must be accepted as valid for the church. As all forms of life adapt themselves to their environment, so does the life of Christ by His Spirit in the church. In other words, just adapt. Do whatever you want. Structure the church however you please. But the truth is, the structure of the church is crucial. Reminds me of what Winston Churchill said about actual structures. He said, we shape our buildings and then our buildings shape us. Well, the same thing is true about organization and structure. We create our organization and structure, and that structure then shapes how we respond in that circumstance, in that organization. Alexander Strock, in his excellent book, Biblical Eldership, writes this, some of the worst havoc wrought to the Christian faith has been a direct result of unscriptural forms of church structure. Only a few centuries after the apostles' death, for example, Christ's churches began to assimilate both Roman and Jewish concepts of status, power, and priesthood. Under Christ's name, an elaborately structured institution emerged that corrupted the simple family structure of the apostolic churches, robbed God's people of their lofty position and ministry in Christ, and exchanged Christ's supremacy over His people for the supremacy of the institutional church, end quote. Before you came to countryside, perhaps you were a part of churches with many different models of leadership. For example, perhaps you belonged to a church that was run like a democracy, where it was pure congregational rule, and everybody got a vote, and so everybody equally decided what was going to happen in the church. Or maybe you belonged to a church that was run like a dictatorship, where all authority rested in the senior pastor. This is very common. In fact, I actually have heard a pastor say, I'm not only the dictator in my church, I'm the only tater. Maybe you belong to a church like that. Or maybe you belong to a church that was run like a corporation with a board of trustees, basically men who are qualified to run a business but who are not spiritually qualified to run a church. Now, I'll tell you that as I was growing up in the church and through college, I belonged to all of those kinds of churches, but never a truly biblical one. But at the end, your experience, my experience doesn't really matter. The question is, what does the Scripture say about the structure of the church? You see, the church always has some form. It has to, 
But what form does the Scripture prescribe? This morning, I want to show you the biblical evidence that a group of godly men, I'll use the expression, a plurality of godly men, not a single pastor, not congregational rule, but a group of godly men led the New Testament churches. And secondly, I want you to understand the biblical arguments that God requires every church to follow that pattern even today. So we're going to look at the the pattern of the Scriptures, and then we're going to look at why that should be the pattern for this church and every church. So let's begin then with the biblical evidence for a plurality of elders in each church. I want to begin not in the New Testament, but in the Old. I want us to consider the Old Testament pattern and the Jewish mindset. The most common New Testament word for church leaders is the word elder, and that word occurs often in the Old Testament. So let's examine what was in the minds of the apostles by looking at what an elder was in the Old Testament. Don't don't misunderstand me. Old Testament elders and the New Testament office in the church are non-identical. The church didn't begin till Pentecost, all right? So we're not talking about New Testament elders in the Old Testament, but rather we can help to understand this concept by looking at its origin in Old Testament history. So let's begin then by considering the two primary Hebrew words for elder in the Old Testament. The first is zakain. The word means old. It speaks of mature age. It's usually plural. It occurs 178 times in the Old Testament, about 100 times as a technical term for those in authority. Another word is the word seeb. It's an Aramaic word. After the Babylonian captivity, the people returned to the land in about the 500s B.C., They didn't speak Hebrew anymore, they spoke Aramaic, and so in the books in that period of time, this word seeb is used. It occurs about five times in the Old Testament, all in Ezra after the exile. It means gray-headed. So taking those words, let's look at how the word elder is used in the Old Testament. First of all, there are elders of, of a house or a family. In Genesis chapter 50, verse 7, Joseph went up to bury his father, and with him went up all the servants of Pharaoh, the elders of his household. So extended families had elders who were responsible for the leadership of that family. In, in Psalm 105, verse 22, it speaks of Pharaoh's elders, that of his household. In 2 Samuel 12, 17, We read of the elders of David's household or his extended family. So there were elders of a house or a family. Secondly, there were elders of a city. That is, those who administered the local government of a city. Just a couple of examples. In Judges 8, verse 14, Gideon captured a young man from the city of Succoth. And he questioned him. And it says the youth wrote down for him the princes of the city of Succoth and its elders, 77 men. So of a city, there were elders, those who were responsible to lead it. In Ruth chapter 4, verse 9, Boaz approached the elders of the city of Bethlehem about the responsibility regarding Ruth. 
So elders of cities. Thirdly, in the Old Testament, you find that there were elders of nations. Now let's begin outside of Israel. There were actually elders in the nations around Israel. For example, in Genesis 50 verse 7, we read about all the elders of the land of Egypt. In Numbers 22 verse 7, the elders of Moab, the country of Moab, and the elders of the country of Midian. So even the nations around Israel were led by a plurality of elders, older men who were responsible for the leadership of the nation. So let's come then to Israel itself. Israel clearly had elders by the time of Moses. Go back to Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3, you have here the, the commissioning of Moses to go and lead the people out of Egypt. In Exodus 3.16, God says to Moses, go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, Yahweh, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob has appeared to me saying, I am indeed concerned about you and what has been done to you in Egypt, and I'm going to bring you out of that affliction. Go to chapter 4. Chapter 4, verse 29, then Moses and Aaron went and assembled all the elders of the sons of Israel, and they spoke the words which God had commanded to them. Now, that's during the time of Moses. We already mentioned, I already mentioned the time of the judges, Boaz and the, the elders of, of the city of Bethlehem, but there were also elders in the nation. When you come to the monarchy, when David and, and Saul and, and Solomon and later the kings of Israel reigned, the elders were still there. Even though there was a king, there were still elders and they acted as an advisory body to the nation. 1 Samuel chapter 8 verse 4 speaks of all the, Israel, all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel. In 2 Samuel 5, 3, all the elders of Israel came to David and anointed him king over Israel. So the elders are the one who anointed David as king over the nation. Even in those wayward tribes, the ten northern tribes that were worshiping a false god set up by Jeroboam, even there, there were elders of that nation. In 1 Kings 20, verse 7, the king of Israel called all the elders of the land together. So during the monarchy, you had elders acting as an advisory body. During the exile, during the time that the children of Israel, those 70 years that they were, they were exiled into Babylon, you still had elders. In Jeremiah 29, verse 1, these are the words of the letter which Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the rest of the elders of the exile. So you still, had, you still had elders even in the time of the Babylonian exile. And then after the exile, after they returned to Babylon in about the 500s uh, B.C., you still have elders. Ezra 6, verse 7, let the governor of the Jews and the elders of the Jews rebuild this house of God on its site. In Ezra 10, verses 8 and 14, you have the council of the elders of the nation, and you have the elders of each city. Still the same structure, 
after they returned from Babylon. But what about those years between the Testaments, those 400 silent years when synagogues sprung up? When synagogues became the focus of every community's worship, each synagogue had elders. Now, this begins to shape our understanding of when we get to the New Testament. Each synagogue had elders. They were the mainstays of the synagogue. From them, the head of the synagogue was selected. And you see this even in the New Testament era. In Luke 7, verse 3, when he heard about Jesus, he sent some Jewish elders from the synagogue asking him to come and save the life of his slave. One other usage in the Gospels and Acts of the expression elders is referring to the Jewish Sanhedrin. In Luke twenty-two sixty-six, the council of the elders of the people assembled and led Jesus away to their council chamber. So occasionally this expression is used of the elders of the nation, meaning the Sanhedrin. Now, here's what I want you to get, and the why, why it took so long to work through that was I want you to understand that clearly in the Jewish mind, when you mentioned elders, you were referring to a plurality of men overseeing some aspect of life, whether it was a family, whether it was a city, or whether it was a nation, a plurality of men who were responsible for leadership. With that history then, it would have been natural for the concept of elder rule to be adopted by the first churches, all of which were primarily Jewish. But beyond that Old Testament pattern, we've we've looked at the, the Old Testament pattern, the Jewish mindset, beyond that, and more importantly, when you examine the New Testament, you find overwhelming evidence of a plurality of godly men leading every church. Let's look at the New Testament passages and the apostles' example. The New Testament passages and the apostles' example. Let's start with the Jerusalem church. Elders played a dominant role in the life of the church in Jerusalem and in the Jerusalem council. You can see this in several passages. Initially, the apostles apparently acted as the elders of the church. You see this in chapter 6. But eventually, the apostles appointed elders in the church in Jerusalem. So that when you get to the Jerusalem council in Acts 15, turn over there with me. In Acts 15, you find them present. You remember the context here. There, were, there was a debate about the essence of the gospel. The Judaizers were influencing this in Antioch, the church of Antioch. And verse 1 says, some men came down from Judea, began teaching the brethren, unless you're circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. When Paul and Barnabas had great dissension and debate with them, the leadership of the church in Antioch decided to send Paul and Barnabas and some others to Jerusalem. Notice this in verse 2 to the apostles and the elders there in Jerusalem concerning this issue. Look down in verse 4. When they arrived at Jerusalem, they were received by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they reported all that God had done with them. Go down to verse 22. After the the debate and after the decision was made, verse 22 says, then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church to choose men from among them to send to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, along with this letter that's quoted here. 
So what I want you to see is this. In the Jerusalem church, the apostles appointed a plurality of elders to lead that church. And you'll notice church is singular and elders are plural. You're going to see that pattern again and again. Now, in this chapter, chapter 15, James features prominently because he was the key leader of the church in Jerusalem. And let's see what he says in his letter. Turn to James chapter 5. James chapter 5. James sent his letter to the Jewish believers who had been dispersed out of Jerusalem because of persecution, probably that of Herod in Acts chapter 12. James wrote this letter in the mid-40s A.D. It was probably the first New Testament book written, and notice what he says in chapter 5, verse 14. Is anyone among you sick? Then he must call for the elders of the church, and they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Individuals don't belong to a group of churches. Individuals belong to one church. And when that individual is sick, that individual is to call for the elders, plural, of the church, singular. Turn to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 14. So far, we're talking about churches that consist primarily of Jewish people. What about Gentiles? Acts 14, verse 23. Here's Paul. Acts 14, 23, when they had appointed elders for them in every church, having prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. This is the first reference to elders in Gentile churches. It's at the end of Paul's first missionary journey, really at the very beginning of his ministry, and notice he appointed elders, plural, in every church, singular. In fact, the, the way the Greek preposition here is used, you can actually translate it like this, having appointed for them church by church elders. It refers to the churches they ministered to in the first missionary journey, the church in Antioch of Pisidia, Iconium, Lystra, Derby. Don't miss this. One of the key steps in organizing a new Gentile church was appointing elders, plural. That's Paul's pattern everywhere he went. In fact, turn over to Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. In Acts 20, Paul was finishing his third missionary journey. He's about to head to Jerusalem for the Feast of Pentecost. This would have been about May of the year 57 AD. Earlier on this third journey, he had established the church in Ephesus and had stayed there as its pastor for about three years. Now he's on his way to Jerusalem, and, and his ship docked in Miletus for several days to load and unload cargo. Miletus is only 40 miles south of Ephesus, and so Paul seized the opportunity, and he called the Ephesian elders to Miletus. This is the only record of Paul speaking directly to elders. Look at verse 17 of Acts 20. From Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called to him the elders of the church. Again, notice elders, plural, church, singular. Now go down to verse 28 and notice what he said to them. Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. 
Notice Paul warns them to be on guard for all the flock, singular, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, plural. The church in Ephesus had a plurality of godly men who pastored it. That's Tom Pennington here on The Word Unleashed with part 11 of his series, Recovering a Lost Legacy. Tom will have part 12 for you on our next program. Join us then, won't you? In a world filled with great uncertainty, God's Word and the promises it contains offer wonderful encouragement to believers in Jesus Christ. We pray that the ministry of The Word Unleashed is playing a prominent role to that effect, and we'd love to hear how that works in your life and personal walk with the Lord. Write to us, won't you? Our address is listeners at the word unleashed.org. Again, that's listeners at the word unleashed.org. Or you can call us at 1 877 577 Word. And remember to connect with us on social at the word unleashed. We also invite you to visit thewordunleashed.org, where you'll find other resources, including additional series from The Word Unleashed. That's thewordunleashed.org. You know, The Word Unleashed is made possible because of the prayers and financial gifts of individuals just like you. Please consider partnering with us. You can find out how to do that by visiting thewordunleashed.org. Again, that's thewordunleashed.org. And now for Tom Pennington and the entire team, I'm Bill Wright. Thanks for listening to The Word Unleashed, exalting God's glory, explaining God's truth. Music